Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor. Make sense out of the senseless, if at all possible. Find the obvious buried in the absurd. Hold on to your lug nuts. Time for an overall. First and foremost, thanks so much for joining me one more time on uh, the Life 2.0 podcast. We're coming into, this will start year five, I believe. The first one that I did was back in May of 2018 at Memorial Day, which which came past that holiday just a couple weeks ago. And um, so I've been doing this for five years is the norm for me, meaning I've been in radio a very long time and I just keep turning the microphone on until somebody says, shut up. No one's told me to stop yet. So here we are. You know, I say this, if not saying it, I think it every time I do this show. I never want to waste your time because time is way too precious to waste. It's the one commodity that consumes and replenishes itself in the same movement. You know, as the clock is winding down, it's also winding up. And as the clock is winding up, it's also winding down. It's this constant motion. And here I am on a gorgeous Saturday morning in my studio in Chicago. The sun's beaming through and everything is all lit up in here. All my stuff, all my my gadgets and gizmos and mementos and things like that. And my first thought this morning when I got up really early was, uh, you know, what it was like when I was a kid on a Saturday morning. You know, couldn't wait to get down and watch Johnny Quest on the tube and, uh, you know, sneak a bologna sandwich in the morning before my folks were awake. And uh, we had a really cool basement. It was a little bit on the haunted side, but it was pretty cool. And my dad had a pool table down there. That, of course, was the perfect place to display all the stuff, kind of like what I got here in my office now. Uh, but I had this thing called the uh, the Monster Maker, I think it was, and you can make all these bugs and stuff. You know, you, you plug the thing in and you pour the gobbledygook into this little mold and you'd bake it. And you can make spiders and centipedes and all kind of weird things. And, uh, but getting up early has always been in me. It's just the way that it is. And so over time, what I do early in the morning has changed dramatically and drastically. I don't get up and make bugs anymore. Now I get up early and write books or revise books or do podcasts. So it is interesting. It's just an arc that has been in, in the back of my mind as I got up this morning about, God, for, you know, <laughs> I'll be 65 in December and for at least, you know, maybe 55 of those years, I've been getting up at the crack of dawn, as my mom used to call it. And there's something about not missing the morning is so important to me. I've never been able to sleep in. I take naps, no doubt of that, but I can't sleep in. I can't imagine like sleeping until eight or nine o'clock in the morning. The day's half over. It's interesting. So anyway, I'm glad you're joining me. There's a lot of choices you have of podcasts, and especially I'm talking to those who subscribe to this, to this effort. Um, I have people that have been with me since day one. You know, they carried over from radio various incarnations that I've had in radio from way back in the day. There are people who subscribe to this podcast that have been listening to me since 1997 or 8, somewhere in there. I mean, I and I apologize, but I'm still at it. So thank you for doing that. And hopefully I don't waste your time this morning. <laughs> so even though it's early, I've been up you know, before I turn the microphone on, you know, going through email and things like that, having my coffee and getting the cat fed and watching the sun come up, I I started thinking about, you know, what is it that's on my mind today? The concept of this show 
And the reason I called it Life 2.0 was to up the experience, if at all possible. So when I start out talking about find the obvious and the buried in the absurd and going up the down staircase, those things to me are about uh, digging in places that you don't normally dig or being aware of places that you are, are around, but you don't pay attention to sometimes. You know, I, I reached out to my old pal, Dr. Mehmet Oz, a couple of weeks ago, he of the uh, failed Pennsylvania Senate race. And uh, I sent him a note because I'm working on this Randy Hundley book, which is now, I think I'm eight chapters in as far as revisions. And so there's 12 and that's, you know, we're getting kind of into the home stretch of that. But I was remembering back in 2008, I should find that audio again, actually, and drop it in here. It was pretty, pretty interesting. Um, when I was the senior producer of the Dr. Oz show for Oprah Radio, and I brought Randy in to talk to Mehmet about baseball and injuries and longevity and things. So Randy played 14 years in the majors, which is a long stretch, especially as a catcher. And the injuries he endured and the things that he overcame, and a lot of that is in the book, uh, but I wanted to reach out to Mehmet and let him know that I, you know, I was referring to this audio from so long ago to uh, to be part of the the, uh, the volume, and I got a really nice email back about you know staying in contact and those kind of things. And I just you know again it's one of these arc things. When I started radio, I never once imagined there'd be anything called Oprah Radio, but there was, and never thought I'd be a part of it, but I was. So all of these little puzzle pieces kind of come together in a point where they they show themselves later. And the reason I brought this up is because Mehmet Oz wrote the forward to my second book called Every Moment Matters. And in there, he wrote something along the lines that one of John's superpowers was that I'm able to see the extraordinary in the ordinary. That the things most people miss, I'm like, did you see this? Did you look at this? And that to me is all about perspective. And perspective to me comes from patience and and being willing to step back for a second and watch things kind of fall together. And I think the way the world is set up today because of the speed of things. And if you only knew how many times I've already turned the microphone off because my throat needs to be cleared, it's got to be the forest fires in Canada getting to me this morning. I'm saving your ears, let's put it that way. But it's all about that to me. It's like being able to sit back and watch. And whenever I go into a space like a restaurant place, I like to go sit in the corners and watch the whole room. Number one is if they're coming for me, I want to see them. But... Uh, two, I, I just find human behavior fascinating and I wonder why people do what they do and how they act like, you know, the way that they act. And a lot of this comes from reading certain books as a kid, uh, you know, like uh, man's search for meaning and, uh, and, you know, why people, some people do really incredibly great, wonderful things in the world. And some people are just ass. You know, it's just, you can't, there's like a, and most of us live in the middle, right? For every mother Teresa, there's a Hitler. So I find all of this fascinating. It's like a giant petri dish of human experience that we go through every single day, every moment of every day. And so life 2.0 would be to pull away from a lot of this stuff and try to observe it and learn from it as opposed to swimming in it all the time. So one of my observations this past week was, you know, when I, when I work on a book, I totally get locked in. A lot of things kind of go by the wayside. I won't shave for two weeks. And, you know, I mean, I just, I don't work out like I'm supposed to. And I will stop just about everything because I have a routine early in the morning up when I'm writing and I'll write from four o'clock to seven, eight o'clock in the morning. And it just evaporates. And by that time, then I have other work to do. I have, you know, audio work to do. And that'll take me to noon. And then I take a nap because I was up at four o'clock in the morning. So there's, you know, I'm, I'm on my schedule. When the book is settling down a bit like it is now, life returns a little bit normalcy for me. It's more like, oh, I can sleep till five o'clock now. 
So that's sleeping in for me. So yesterday I did some work on the book and uh, I forced myself to go to the gym. Now, in full disclosure, I've been working out since I was like 14 years old, so 50 years. If I would look at that 50 years, I would say that it's it's about an 80% show up rate, right? About 20% of the time over those years at various points, I've taken a break. And I think that's important. You got to let the body rest, that kind of stuff. And I'm not talking about, you know, just work, working in a treadmill and doing some rubber bands. I used to push serious, heavy weights. And I still do compared to my age now. I don't push the weight like I did when I was 25, obviously. But the mentality is there. The same intensity is there that the the weights are just a little less. I don't need to do that. I don't have nothing to prove. But I like to keep the machine doing what it's been doing because it's used to it. My body has adapted. You've heard me talk about this before. Specific adaptation to impose demands. My body over time has adapted to being and needing that heavy push to maintain itself. And I'm good with it. You know, I mean, I've had some injuries and things, but for the most part, it's been so important to me to have that, that weightlifting workout regime. It has given me a mental discipline, obviously a physical discipline, a spiritual discipline to show up and push against things that are heavier than you to move them. So all of that stuff is important to me. And that's what happens when I go to work out. So it's been a little while, probably a couple of weeks, I go to the gym yesterday and I'm dragging a little bit, you know. I mean, you got to restart the, you know, the engine a little bit. We we had our car in for a recall, eight months they had it because of a brake line issue. And when we got the car back, it had been sitting a long time. It's coughing and spitting and sputtering and needs to catch up to itself. My body felt a little bit like that. So you know, I get in there and I, I kind of do the stretch first, the static stretch where I'm just holding positions, and then I'll move into a more kinetic stretch where I'm actually actively pulling on things and stretching my back and my legs and what have you. And I happened to notice uh, in the other room, so it's, it's a good sized gym, half of it is you know, the treadmills and the machines and the weights and such. And then the new part of it, they kind of expanded is, is an open space for classes and things like that. So Julie is the head trainer there and we've had many great conversations over the years and I had not seen her for a while. And I noticed in the other room, she's running a class. And the class was five ladies, all advanced in years, and one of them had an oxygen tank on next to her. She had oxygen in her nose. She had the tank on the little, the little dolly thing there. And they were th- tossing a ball to each other. It was like almost like a beach ball kind of thing. And they were just going around and they were saying their names every time they threw it to each other. Carol, Barbara, Julie, and so forth. And I just sat there watching this for a second while I was just doing a a, kind of a stretch of my back. I'm watching them in the mirrors and the reflection and they're all smiling and and I'm thinking how this was just really caught my interest. It's not something I've seen there before. And they took a little bit of a break and Julie came walking by and said, hello. And we talked, I said, what is this class you're doing? She goes, well, these are all people who are um, early onset dementia. Really? She says, yeah, there's great uh, research that has shown that activity combined with speech is important. So sometimes when you go to a speech therapist, for example, you just kind of sit and spit words out. But the act of movement while you're saying your name and other things that she has them say, like what the day is or what the temperature might be or what they like for lunch, makes these neuropathways stronger and connecting. Huh. So I'm watching these five ladies. Again, they're all well over 70 years old, if not 80. And 
of course, I don't have any excuses for not getting my ass in the gym anymore. And I started to think about that connection between movement and speech. I'm not Italian, but if you could see my hands right now, and don't, no knock against my Italian friends, the whole thing is about Italians talking with their hands. And I find that just fascinating that we need to move a lot of the times when I'm speaking. My hands are moving here. I was uh, taping a show yesterday with uh, Candace Jordan, Candace, uh, Candid Candace, we call her here in Chicago. You should listen to her podcast. She's also on the uh, Life Two. She's also on the Podbean platform. And I noticed as I was talking with her, we were in a you know, fairly interesting conversation about, about Priscilla Presley, actually, who was just in Chicago, who she met and she had on the show. And so my hands are gesturing and I'm talking. I'm thinking, there's nobody in here. I'm not thinking about moving my hands, but they move on their own. And I guess one of the things that happens in dementia is the movement between the, what you're speaking and what you're saying, those movements stop. And somehow there's a connection about restarting those, kickstarting those movements while you're speaking and helps people. So here they were with this beach ball that weighs almost nothing. And they were just tossing it to each other while they, while they said their name. And it started to dawn on me about that, how we do that as a species. We talk, hands moves. No one sits there for the most part with their hands on their lap and just talks and says nothing. You know, no one sits there with their hands on their lap talking for the most part. At some point you're going to start moving, whether it's your head, your hands, your arms, whatever. Learn something. I learned something new yesterday. And I can go for months and think I haven't learned anything new. Yesterday was a very important thing for me. It's about the importance of movement connected with your, your, your words and how in the world expression is important. I am fortunate, even though I've had some up and down years in radio, I feel so fortunate to have this pulpit, for lack of a better term. I've earned it, I've created it, I swim in it, but it's been important for me over time to express myself in the world. And I think, I don't think, I know it comes from, you know, probably three major influences in my life, maybe four. Uh, the first one being uh, Theodore Roosevelt. You know, there's a guy, you talk about a bully pulpit, uh, he had his faults, but for the most part, this is a guy who set himself on fire every day. And the world tried to put it out. He just kept burning and burning and burning. And as a kid, one of the first volumes I've ever read was uh, Great Men and Famous Deeds by the, in the Childcraft series was about young Theodore Roosevelt. And I was captivated about reading this story of Teddy Roosevelt. His parents called him T.D. back when he was a kid. And uh, he had found a harbor seal. They lived in New York and there was a dead harbor seal that was on display at the harbor master's shack. And that was the first specimen that he ever uh, studied and taxidermy. And when the thing was no longer able to sit on the dock as it was, they gave the skull to Teddy. And that started what would become a lifelong journey into natural history. And animals and things like that. And that was the first specimen in the Theodore Roosevelt Natural History Museum. I believe it's still there. And if there was a guy who talked with his hands, it was Theodore Roosevelt. And then the next guy that came along was Jacques Cousteau. He was such an influence in me that here was a man who was going underwater that I'd never seen before. I used to, couldn't wait for the undersea world of Jacques Cousteau to come on television when there was only five channels to choose from, which was better in my opinion. And uh, I was just amazed by that. How did, this guy did what? He's underwater? But I was fascinated by his work and that he did something with his life, that it was important 
that he used what he was given. So you got Theodore Roosevelt here setting himself on fire and doing what he's supposed to do. You got Jacques Cousteau, who was doing what he's supposed to do and filling the void where there before he showed up, there was nobody doing what he did. And then John Denver came along much later, and it was all about the voice. What do you use your voice for? Maybe it's just as simple as saying your name sometimes when you're older and you're, you're battling against dementia, that, that that's a major accomplishment. But John taught me to, to use what I was given. And I didn't know what I'd been given until he pointed it out. Hey, by the way, do you know this, this, this? So these three men and, and many others are what come through this microphone for me. It's in my voice for sure. These are my experiences for sure. But they were the impetus to do something with my life. To not just, and I'm not saying that, how do I put this? I'm no better or worse than anybody else. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. And I think part of me being here is to point out the fact that we're here and we're not here for a very long time. And that you need to get about your business. And you need to find out what that business is and take care of it. That's why I kind of start the show with taking care of business by Bachman Turner Overdrive. You got to take care of your business. And Julie's business yesterday was making sure these five ladies had a beach ball and that they were able to say their name. And I'm not kidding yet. Not after this, after they did their little thing, the lady with the, uh, with the oxygen wheeled her oxygen over to the treadmill and started walking. So she's got the tread, you know, the treadmill's going at a good clip for her and she's in her eighties. I had zero excuse for a bad workout. So then there's this perspective thing. And I think that's what Oz was talking about is to be able to see the extraordinary in the ordinary. And, and then how do you assimilate that in your life? And that's the whole concept of this show is how do you assimilate what's gone on in your life in a way that it works for you as opposed to against you? I have a couple friends that are going through some really, really tough times right now, more than a couple. And they'll call me and ask me not so much what I think, but just they want to talk. And so I'm not here to be Dr. Phil or Dr. John or Dr. anybody and prescribe how somebody is supposed to go about their lives. What I am here to do is to have conversation, and my hands are moving, <laughs> um, my, is to have conversation around those things in a different manner so they appear differently. And as Wayne Dyer used to say, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. So at the same time, these friends of mine are going through very difficult circumstances. And I can tell you, when you're in difficulty, these two particular people are in a, a, right in the beginnings of a divorce, and it's tough. And one of them has little kids. And when you're in all of that, what's going on in the outer world really doesn't matter as much. It's like we, we are pulled in with our circumstances begging for our attention. And all the shit that we think is important or are told is important outside of us, it kind of doesn't matter at that point. So in the same week that a former president's being indicted, uh, these two are going through the, the, the difficulty that they are, and they don't care about that, nor do I, quite frankly, because there's nothing I can do about it. So knowing that I'm on borrowed time in a limited time frame, and that the fact that I woke up today is already a miracle, it, it, it already is. I got another day today. So did you. If you're listening to this, you have another day. What are you going to do with it? How do you spend that time? How do you utilize it in some way? that benefits you and benefits maybe somebody else at the same moment, like time replenishing and consuming itself. How do you fill the day, for lack of a better term? And what do you take out of today to make tomorrow better, to up your life experience, life 2.0? And 
the last piece of this, pretty short one this morning, but uh, uh, hopefully getting all this in, uh, was a movie that I've been watching since I was a kid called The Seven Faces of Dr. Lowe. Tony Randall's in it. Highly recommend it to watch. It's only an hour and 39 minutes. My uh, deal during the week is when I'm working, I'm up early, I work to a certain point, then I do these other things, and then I'll take a break for lunch, and I'll find something to watch during lunch, which is not CNN, Fox, or MSNBC. What's the point? I'm trying to eat here. And I came across this on TCM uh, on cable, and on TCM you can go, like a lot of these movie channels, you can go on demand and go find out what's in their library. Well, when I came across The Seven Faces of Dr. Lowe, I just, that was it for me. And the premise is, in case you've not seen it or may not see it, Tony Randall plays Dr. Lowe. He plays these seven characters in one movie. That in itself is amazing. He was one of my favorite actors. And it's about this old Chinese magician who comes to this small town that's in turmoil, and he somehow evens things out. And, you know, it's obviously a fantasy movie by George Pal, but the messages are clear in there. And he talks about at one point, he says, you know, the world is magical if you see it that way. If you see the sunrise as a blessing, if you see the sunset as an acknowledgement, if you can hear the birds in the sky, as I am right now behind me here doing this show, uh, that's real magic. And we have been bombarded for so long about th- things and, and information and events and people that negate all that, that somehow life is a shitbox and that it's bad and that you're just trying to get by and same shit, different day and all that. And I'm thinking to myself, try and say that to somebody like my friend Daryl who had brain surgery and then he had a stroke and he's trying to work his way back to being you know, somewhat of a normal life. Tell him that, that today is not important, that it's just same shit, different day. Tell my friends who have to explain to their little kids why their father isn't around anymore, you know, that it's just same shit, different day. It's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. And so for me, as I watched that movie and it came to the conclusion, you know, the guy, Tony Randall, kind of just disappears into thin air. Was he ever there really? Kind of sums the whole life thing up, right? I mean, life in its own form is meaningless. It's meaningless. It's an empty void. When you get here, there's nothing except you showing up. And what's piled on you and within you over time becomes your life experience. Among all creatures on this planet, humans are the only one that get to decide what something really means. My friends, I, 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 I listen to their, their pain. I've been through a divorce. I know how hard it is. They're struggling. Uh, and all I can do is really listen, and that's important. But in that struggle, there will come a time where that will change. It's not that time yet, but it will come later. And so I think of that as they're going through this very, very difficult process that you're a different person coming out than you were going in. That's the whole part of the process is what it's about. It's like, if you're the same person that came out of the storm that went into the storm, the storm didn't mean anything. And they're supposed to mean something. The most difficult things in our life, like my friend Daryl, and like the girls that are going through the divorce, and a few other people that are going through challenges, a lot of a medical, who are you in the process? And how is life any different than that? Who you become in the process of life is so important and that you find out what your business is and you get about that. So for me, it's doing this and it's writing books. You know, we have this writing workshop coming up, Jennifer Weigel and I, uh, on the 29th of June. And it it's solely came out of the, the concept and a couple conversations Jen and I had about we were tired of people 
being ripped off, not just financially, but philosophically, emotionally, and spiritually when it came to telling their story. You know, these online things, mega best-selling authors sell millions of books. Guess what? That's reserved for a few. That doesn't mean you don't write. It just means that's not your goal. And we work backwards from that. So as we're getting ready for this thing, you know, we each have six kind of points that we're going to be working off of. And one of mine is, is that there's, you know, you have to write. You know, you can go to every journalism class and you can, you can take creative writing. And those are all fine and good. But you got to write. I mean, the secret to being a great writer is to frickin' write. Or you could take a class and how to become a great writer, but you still got to write. Great writer is in the mind of the reader. There are people that I've read and I thought, well, this is great. And I give it to somebody else like, well, this is a bucket of crap. But the most important thing is it's out in the world. So as I get ready to put the clamps on the Randy Hunley book, which will be the ninth or 10th book I've ghostwritten, uh, I, I find it fascinating. I, I'm in amazement at the experiences I've had because I kept showing up, because I fulfilled what I came here to do, because I cu- kept saying yes to things that most people say no to. And I've brailed my way through all of it the best that I can. And so I don't know what's after this one. Somebody said, what are you going to write next? I, I have no clue. I think I did a little break, which is usually how it works out. And then something will wash up on my shore and say, you get to decide. That's pretty magical stuff. But it's no less magical to me than my friend who teaches at the high school we went to and he teaches music. And he gets to go in there every day, as he has for 20 years, and has all these kids in front of him that are blank slates and blank stares for the most part. And he full well knows that out of, I don't know, six, seven classes during the day, Maybe a handful of those kids will even understand what he's talking about. But he does it anyway. That's magic to me. Or or the the, the guy I had to talk to this past week who's a police officer about an incident that took place. And I'm on the phone with him going back and forth. He's a young police officer in Chicago. Thank you, Officer Gomez. And uh, we went back and forth. And I said, I got to ask you. I said, why do you do this? He goes, I love it. I love helping people. That's magical juxtaposition all the bullshit that shows up on the news. That's not good. That's the lower end of all of this experience. There's nothing there. That's always been there, and there's nothing there. Every single morning when I check my Yahoo account, there's a slew of things that are begging my attention that A, I can't do anything about, and B, I can't do anything about. So knowing I'm in the back nine of my life, why in the world would I spend any time, energy, or attention on things A, I can't do anything about, and B, I can't do anything about, except get pissed off? What's the point in that? None. Thank you very much. My friend Heidi Newfield is an incredible singer-songwriter. She was with Trick Pony for years, and uh, she's been a solo artist for the last, I don't know, 10 years, I suppose. And she has this song called The Blues Is My Business, and Business Is Good. And that kind of is a, is a reminder to me of how that stuff is set up on the shallow end of the life pool. You know, it's all about the negative and the bad and what's horrible in the world. And it doesn't take much to pull. That's there every day for you. And it, you can get the blues by just swimming in that stuff. So don't do that. At least not today. Give it a rest. You know, I, I have some great friends who are like, well, how do you know what's going on? And you're not informed. I don't care. I care about being alive. I care about the, what I've been given to do. That information is disinformation to me. It does nothing for me. Absolutely nothing. Maybe I'm wired a little bit different, but it doesn't do anything for me. It's just an arguing point for people. 
What's the point in that? Nothing, at least for your host. Anyway, this is a great song by uh, by Heidi Newfield and her special guest, Delbert McClinton. And I was listening to this the other day, and I thought, I'm going to finish the podcast with it this week. And as a reminder, you know, if you go within, you'll never go without. So make sure that what you're going in for and looking inside of yourself is reflective of the best of who you are and not the worst, because we can do both. And so for all of you listening and for the five ladies at the gym, be well, safe travels. Until next time, keep the faith.
we on to somebody. Oh, I think we are too, double. I may not let you go. You know, everybody got the blues, so That's right. we take That's care right. of the blues. Come see me and lose your blues. Put a sign up. better than that now. <laughs> <laughs>